Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring Doris Day, Parker Fenley as Titus Moody, Harold Perry as the great Gildersleeve, and Elsa Maxwell with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. And now, here's Doris Day from her very own radio show in 1952. The one I love Belongs to somebody else He means his tender songs For somebody else And even when I have my arms around him I know his thoughts are strong Somebody else The hands I hold Belong to somebody else I'll bet they're not so cold To somebody else It's tough to be Much worse to fall in love by yourself The one I love belongs to somebody
everyone. Dave Ellman had a program in the 40s titled Hobby Lobby. People from all over the United States with unusual hobbies would be invited to New York to appear on the program. You'd be amazed at some of the crazy hobbies some people have. Take, for instance, the program on which Parker Fenley, better known as Titus Moody, appeared to talk about his strange hobby. <laughs> Hobby Lobby, it's for you, ladies and gentlemen, it's for you. And now, on with the tour. Say, Dave, you're walking too fast. I know, Tony, but we've got to catch him. Well, who is he? Well, don't you recognize him? He's the man whose wit is enjoyed by millions of listeners when he assumes the role of Titus Moody on The Fred Allen Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Parker Fenley. Well, Parker, you look very happy this, e this evening. Yeah, I just got back from the graveyard. <laughs> the graveyard? What were you doing there? Catching up with my reading. Well, doesn't your wife let you read in the house? Oh, shucks, that ain't it. No, I walk around the graveyard reading the tombstones, collecting epitaphs. That's my hobby. You ought to read some of them. <laughs> Better than the funnies. Well, I haven't time to go out there now. Do you remember any of those tombstone inscriptions? Dave, I remember them all. All right, Parker, let's hear a few. Well, sir, <clears throat> beneath this stone lies Reginald Chuck. He called his mother-in-law a ten-ton truck. <laughs> Snappy stuff, eh, Dave? <laughs> now, here's another one. Dead at the age of 30 lies our friend William Mundred. He's the author of that famous book, How to Live to Be a Hundred. Well, I'm beginning to see your point. H here's a pipperoo. Three times she had a face lifted, our dear beloved Miss Eliza. And so we pray and hope the good Lord will recognize her. <laughs> and not, uh, not far away from Eliza, I found this one. Here lies Joe, the waiter. God finally got his eye. Well, uh, Parker, tell us. Aren't there any serious tombstones in that graveyard? Yeah, yeah, here's the best one. Always crawling out from under was Councilman Jonathan Bliss. And now the voters would like to see the councilman crawl out of this. <laughs> well, here, here's something you don't know. There's a tombstone out there with an advertisement on it. An advertisement on a tombstone? Yeah, it's the oldest tombstone in the graveyard. And this is what it says. Sacred to the memory of Elma Klinger, who died April 12, 1801, leaving a 60-acre farm to his widow, who is young, intelligent, affectionate, and easy to please. That's all. <laughs> Thank you, Parker Fenley. A Wednesday night feature on NBC Radio was The Great Gildersleeve, played by Harold Perry.
Well, the great Gildersleeve didn't like the idea of his niece Marjorie going steady with Bronco Thompson. So he invited Marshall Bullard over to give Bronco a little competition. How's it working out? It isn't. Uh, isn't Marjorie having any dinner, Bertie? No, sir. Have another hot biscuit, Leroy? Yeah, I'll take those two that are stuck together. Gosh, imagine Marge not eating dinner for two nights Yeah, I don't know what to do about that girl No, sir I don't know how she does it She must be sneaking crackers Yep <laughs> All right, Leroy, I'll handle this thing Maybe she's living on love Never mind I did what I thought was best, Bertie A girl owes it to herself to look around a little Yes, sir I didn't know Bronco would act this way Run off like a scared jackrabbit the minute a Harvard boy in a Cadillac came around? No, sir. After all, I'm not the smartest man in the world, Bertie. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Where do you suppose Bronco disappeared to, Unc? You think he joined the Foreign Legion? I doubt that, Leroy. The way he acted, I doubt if he has enough gumption to join anything. Here she comes, Unc. Yeah, Leroy, let's be tactful. Let's pretend we didn't even notice she wasn't here. I get you. Well, hello, my dear. Hi. Hello. Sit down, Marjorie. Perhaps Leroy and I started a little early. Yeah. We didn't even notice you weren't here. Yeah. <laughs> Tactful little fellow. I might have a little dessert. Dessert? Good. Take mine. I wasn't going to eat it anyway. You in love too, Unc? Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> have a date tonight, Marjorie? Yes. Well, anybody we know? Marshall Bullard. Oh, Marshall again, eh? Well, that's what you wanted, isn't it, Uncle Mort? Well, no, it isn't, Marjorie. Well, that's what you're going to get. You drove Bronco away, and now you're going to see Marshall Bullard around here until you're as sick of him as I am. Marjorie. Hey, maybe that's Bronco on the phone. I know who it is. Hello? Oh, hello, Marshall. Zeke. Why, of course, Marshall. I'd love to. Come over any time. The sooner the better. Goodbye. That settles it. I've got to get Bronco back in the parlor. Good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, Bronco, uh, come on into my office. I got your phone call, but I didn't want to come to your house. I thought it better if we met down here. Yeah, good idea. Put your little packages on the desk and sit down, my boy. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, where have you been keeping yourself these evenings, Bronco? I've been sitting in the park feeding the pigeons. <laughs> well... Don't you think you should be dropping by the house once in a while, my boy? Oh, no, Mr. Gildersleeve. No, that's no place for me now. Oh? Well, uh, what would you say if I told you Marshall Bullard has been seeing Marjorie quite often? Well, I'd say lucky him. <laughs> but doesn't it make you a little jealous? Doesn't it make you want to put up a fight? Ask for a date, maybe? Mr. Gildersleeve... I'm doing what I think is best for Marjorie. Oh, brother, we're right back where we started. <laughs> Marshall has a lot more to offer Marjorie than I have, and all I'm interested in is her happiness. Yes. Uh, by the way, you left all your record albums in the parlor. Don't you think you should drop by and pick them up? No use letting Marshall and Marjorie play uh, Romeo and Juliet. 
I'd like Marjorie to have my records. For all Lang Syne. For all Lang Syne. <laughs> I give up. Goodbye, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, think it over, Bronco. Remember, faint heart near one fair lady. No, sir. But a Cadillac and a Harvard education can do it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Say, the boy left his packages here. Popcorn. Must be for the pigeons. What's this book? Life in a Monastery. Uh. Anybody home? Oh, come in, Judge. Good morning, Gildy. Wasn't that Bronco I saw going down the hall? Well, it could have been, Judge. What are you reading, Gildy? Um. Well, life in a monastery. Are you thinking of donning the cloth? All right, Judge, put the book down. It belongs to Bronco. Oh, poor fellow. From what you've told me, the boy probably considers himself a martyr. I suppose so. He's completely withdrawn from the field, and poor little Marjorie is just eating her heart out. Too bad. Doesn't Bronco know how Marjorie feels about it? How can he, Judge? He won't even come near her. I tried to make him jealous so he'd show Marjorie a little fight, but nothing happened. He just blinked his eyes and looked at me like a sick chicken. Gildy, why didn't you come right out and tell Bronco that Marjorie prefers him to Marshal Bullivant? Well... Bronco's been belittling himself. But if he knew that Marjorie's happiness depended on him, he'd be over there in a jiffy. Say, I believe he would at that. Then you can leave everything up to Marjorie. A woman can't hide her true feelings, Gildy. I know. Oh. <laughs> By George Horace, that's a prize-winning idea. I'm glad you thought of it. Thank you, Gildy. Yes, sir. And here's your prize, Judge. Popcorn? For me? <laughs> no, the popcorn's for the pigeons. You get to eat the bag, you old goat. <laughs> I feel better already, Judge. You know, I'm certainly glad you see it my way at last, Bronco. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, all I've been thinking about is Marjorie's happiness. But if she isn't happy with Marshall around, then he shouldn't be around. Yeah, that's the spirit, Bronco. I'm the fellow who should be around. You said it. Why, only this morning, Marjorie said she was sick of seeing Marshall. Is that so? Yeah. You'll see it with your own eyes when we get in the house. A woman can't hide her true feelings, you know. Well, I don't know much about that. Marjorie's the only woman I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll be in the parlor. Let's go right in. All right. I know three's a crowd, but if Marjorie doesn't like the fella, I feel like crowding somebody. Yeah, that's the spirit. Boy. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, uh, hello, Marshal. Guess who's with me, Marjorie? Hiya, Marge. Well, I haven't seen you in quite a while, Mr. Bronco Thompson. Not very enthusiastic. Oh, I've been around. Hello, Bullard. Well, hello. Uh, Bronco's been pretty busy. <laughs> oh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice to see Bronco again. We missed him, haven't we, Marjorie? Have we? Must be a window from someplace. <laughs> what have you been doing, Marge? Oh, Marshall and I have been having a glorious time. Oops. Haven't we, Marshall? Oh, yes, we've really been doing the town, as they say. Marshall is so much fun. He is? <laughs> yeah, it's good to have Bronco around again. 
course, it's nice to see Marshall, too. <laughs> Marshall's been so sweet to me, so thoughtful. That's fine. What's she trying to do? Marshall's a perfect dream on the dance floor, Bronco. Well, I guess I'll be going. Oh, he's collapsed again. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Bronco. Yes, don't run away, old man. I have things to do. Good night, Marjorie. I hope you'll be very happy. <laughs> Jellyfish. Well, I'll be running along too, Bronco. Just stopped in for a minute. Don't leave on my account. Oh, no, I was just telling Marjorie I have another date tonight. You have another date? Why, of course. When you're going with a girl as sweet as Marjorie, you have the nerve to go out with another girl? Why not? Oh, you cad! That did it. There he goes. Marshall Floyd, you're a cat and a bounder. Oh, Bronco. <laughs> Stand aside, girl. Floyd, come outside and defend yourself. Wait a minute, I'm leaving. You bet you are leaving. Now, fellas. Now, hold on, Bronco. Run, Floyd. Come back, you Bronco, stop. Run, Floyd, run. <laughs> he made it to his front door just in the nick of time. Oh, Anky, isn't Bronco wonderful? Yeah, and Marshall's a bounder, all right. Did you see how he cleared that hedge? There's somebody at the door, Marjorie. <laughs> Probably Bronco. Oh, I'll let him in, Anki. Well, here we go again. Back to the dining room. Leroy. <laughs> Hello, Marge. Hello, Bronco. Romeo and Juliet. Good evening, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, hello, Bronco. I stopped in at the telegraph office on my way over, and I brought some news for you. News? Oh, what is it? They got the winning title for your song. It's Tug of My Heart. Tug of My Heart? Well, good. Thank you, Bronco. Come on, Leroy. Well, Anki, you don't have to go in the dining room. No, you don't have to, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, you know what they say. Two's company. Three's a crowd. And four is a... Well, good night, little children. <laughs> Internationally famous party giver Elsa Maxwell appeared on the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy radio show on November 19, 1944. Mr. Bergen was planning a party, and he invited Miss Maxwell to give him some help. I have a bright idea. Well, what is it, Edgar? Yeah. That is, if I could count on your helping me. I'd be only too glad to, Edgar. I'll see you have a party they'll never forget. Oh, thanks, Elsa. Yeah, I don't know how I'll ever repay you. Oh, either check, money order, or cash. 
Well, but this is only a small dinner party. Uh... Even then, there's a fee. There is, huh? That kills it. All right. <laughs> uh, how much would it be? Well, not much. Uh, my prices are mildly exorbitant. I could handle it for uh, $500 in one easy payment in advance. Mm. $500? For what? Well, uh... well, maybe you don't know that I'm the town's foremost caterer. Oh, you are? Let's see you, Kate. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, $500, uh, couldn't we do it just a little bit cheaper than that? Well, whenever I put on a party, Edgar, I like to do it up brown. Mm -hmm. Well, Bergen would be satisfied with a light tan. <laughs> <laughs> Edgar, you don't mean to tell me that you're a cheap skate. Could I answer that question? No, no. <laughs> it just so happens that I'm a little short right now. It seems that money just slips through my fingers. Right down into your sock. No, no. <laughs> of course, I could cut my prices a little bit if you'd let me bring my slot machines. Oh, but no, this is a high-class party. Well, I'd only bring my dollar machines. Oh, aren't you? Well, yeah, yeah. I have no objections to that. Now, let's give a little thought to the menu. Well, I could give you a breast of turkey under glass at, uh, at $5 a plate. $5? Could you suggest something a little less expensive? How about filling a hot dog under Dixie cup? No. <laughs> What did you have in mind? Well, I don't know. Meatloaf is always nice. We really should have a turkey. Yes. How about a baby turkey with mushrooms? Well, couldn't we do without the mushroom? Yes, we could just have filet of baby turkey. Yes. Now I was wondering about the baby turkey. There he goes. Talking his way down to bread and gravy. No, no, I'm not. Suppose you just leave the dinner to me. I'll throw myself into it. Oh, well, then there'll be plenty for everybody. <laughs> Oh, Why don't you go somewhere and fall in a manhole? Because I'm a little boy. All right. <laughs> Edgar, I yes. think we should have some champagne. Champagne? Don't say champagne. Why not? Because you'll have Bergen hanging around all the ship launchings with a bucket. No. <laughs> now I think the we should have a printed menu yeah. in French. Uh-huh. It's much more distingué. Oh, sure. Et j'ai déjà le chef pour faire rôtir une petite dinde, très tendre, délicieux, charmante. You understand French, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. All I, all I really know is that garçon means taxi. wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. Now here's a thought to remember. Since the first concrete roadway was laid in Detroit in 1908, the United States has added more than two and a half million miles of hard surface travel over the finest national highway network in the world. It's another good example of how a free democracy works. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood inviting you to join me next time for more from Radio's Greatest Shows. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.